But Aaron is going to be uh, sharing the message. And uh, in this last year, um, both Aaron and Claire um, on our staff had transitioned into assistant pastor positions and have taken on some new and added responsibilities. And so I I wanted to let you know what Aaron uh, does uh, here at Lighthouse, because you might think he just, like, hangs around and drinks coffee and talks to people. Um, That's a lot of it. But uh, Aaron is actually um, the leader of our Celebrate Recovery program on Thursday nights. Uh, It's actually our biggest service. We We had about 110 people there this last week, and um, he uh, has been leading that. And so if you've been to Celebrate Recovery, you've probably heard Aaron uh, talk before. Um, Aaron also manages um, our properties, all of which are over 100 years old. There's three of them. And uh, Aaron is uh, one of the handiest guys I've ever met. And so um, he's been spending a lot of time um, kind of focusing on some of the property needs of our church. Um, and then he, uh, he's also, um, along with Claire, responsible for kind of intersecting with the, the groups that meet here at Lighthouse, as well as some of the community partners that we have. Um, so Aaron has shared on Sundays before. He's shared some of his story and done a few things. But uh, this is the first time I've uh, given Aaron a text um, and said, why don't you preach a message or share a message with us? And so I wanted you to know that. It's kind of a first time for him uh, to do this um, part of ministry, and we've been, you know, kind of having uh, both he and Claire do a variety of things. Um, and uh, when uh, we kind of approached uh, the, uh, the text for today, for those who don't know, we've been going through the Gospel of John, I gave him kind of a wide section uh, to pick from, and Aaron picked uh, a text that he will talk about today. So, um, long story short, um, everybody smile when Aaron comes up here and be nice to him, okay? All right, thanks. <clears throat> Good morning, everybody. Um, yeah, I, uh, Dale uh, asked me to go through John 5 and uh, find a text that kind of like spoke to me, and um, when I chose this section, uh, Dale kind of gave me one of the classic Dale responses, and um, you know, he he kind of like lifted his head, and he had like this big smile on his face, and he went, huh, (laughs) and uh, so, um, you know, if that's a a precursor to anything, um, you know you're, you're in for a doozy today. Um, but, uh, uh, before I get started, I just wanted to let you guys know that I actually, I actually hit, uh, kind of a, kind of a personal record this week. Um, I can actually bench press 350 pounds. I don't. I think you guys are lying. You don't believe that. But I can. And yeah. Mike, Mike actually, he comes over and he hangs out sometimes. And yeah. Yeah, Jamie has a video on his phone, actually. Do you guys want to see it? <laughs> Do you? Yeah, come on, Jamie. Come on, bring it up here. It's okay. I'm lying. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, thanks for lying to the church for me, guys. Um, no, I'm not, I'm not telling the truth. Um, but, uh, and um, gosh, you guys are so, pol- you are a lot more polite than the last service. Um, but uh, no, I, I, I absolutely can't do that. And um, mostly wanted to, wanted to do that to point out that, you know, it gets a little bit more convincing once we get like a couple witnesses, like saying that, uh, that you know, something unbelievable actually happened. And um, when we, uh, while we get, before we get started here, just want to kind of go through a couple things. Um, first off, the definition of a witness A witness is a person who sees or takes part in an event, sometimes on purpose or just sometimes based off circumstance. Um, Witnesses are somebody that could have just been there and saw something happen. Um, An example, uh, another example is like a a situation where a witness has an idea of what is going on, kind of like the context of what's happening. Um... Now, they are, those people are usually like somehow vested in this situation. And um, a good example of that would be like a character witness. Um, they have a grasp of the character of the person under persecution. Uh, these types of witnesses add valuable credibility to any situation. And um, just real quick, I want to make a distinction between a witness and an observer. Now, the definition of observing is to intentionally watch or study something. Um, The definition of the role of observation kind of varies uh, depending on that context. And uh, the context that I'm going to use here is found in a theory known as the observer's paradox. Now, um, I'm not going to go too deep into this because uh, it's a paradox. And, um, but just, uh, just kind of to sum it up a little bit here is, um, this term, uh, originates from an American linguistic specialist. Uh, his name was William Labov and he is still studying today. Um, he, but, uh, he was, the, uh, when he coined this term, he was studying sociolinguistics in the, uh, mid 1970s. Basically, what he was doing was he was studying how people talk in differing social situations, Um, just uh, observing the changes of language used, um, dialects, the use of slang in various situations. And while he was collecting his data, he came to a realization, and it's that people talk differently when they know that somebody outside of the conversation is listening. Um, Now, this is actually uh, kind of like a shortened version of his realization. He has like a whole dissertation on this this concept. But um, the way he summed it up was, the aim of linguistic research in the community must be to find out how people talk when they are not being systematically observed. Yet, we can only obtain this data by systematic observation. When, a person, when there is a person in the room, 
with an objective or working towards their own agenda, they affect what would naturally happen in that room. Now, this, this phenomena affects every field of work that there is and everyday life, but one thing, one way that, uh, that I can like, really quickly put this into perspective is talking about like photography or videography. Um, we all, we've all seen people that we know to be like very articulate and, and very, very precise in the way they talk, but as soon as a camera is it, like, put in front of them, it's just kind of... And I'm one of those people. <laughs> um, actually, the, the, the um, invite that uh, we put on Facebook for this sermon today um, took about six tries. And um, it's because, uh, it's because uh, we get hyper-aware when we are being observed. We assume that people watching us are going to scrutinize us. We get self-conscious and our behavior changes. Something, and I don't know what it is, it might just be human nature, tells us that when we're being observed, when we're being watched in certain situations, the observer is making inferences about our capabilities and our competence. We get scared of messing up. And we assume that that person watching us has an agenda. You know, like when, you're, when your boss comes in and starts watching you work, you tend to do a much better job. <laughs> you tend to pay a lot more attention. And sometimes you get a little like fumbly with stuff and you're just like, oh great, I'm gonna get fired. And um, we just, we assume that people are looking for inconsistencies when we're being watched. And because of that, our behavior, the way we would naturally act, changes. We all come to faith as observers. Some of us, and I fall into this category, come to church with a need to be met. At Lighthouse, we see this all of the time. People that need social support, people trying to get sober, or just people trying to maintain their sobriety people with a loved one that could be struggling, people, people struggling or trying to figure out their mental health issues, people tend to turn to God in times of desperation. We see a lot of people who at some point have lost their flame. And usually they're looking for something to help them get fired up again. And if you are one of those people, we're very happy that you're here today. Now, um, we're going to be focusing on John 5, verses 31 through 45. Now, there are, there are a lot of things uh, going on in this chapter, and I'm just going to talk while you guys find the page. But um, oh, there are a lot of things happening in this chapter. Uh, Jesus is just kind of running amok at this point. Um, Jesus is performing miracles and committing crimes against Jewish law. 
He's making divine claims, like he's the son of God. Uh, he's making condemnations that serve as a turning point for, uh, and uh, Jesus is saying some things in this chapter that help form the Christian faith as a whole. Um, and ultimately, he begins in this chapter sowing the seeds that will lead to his crucifixion. Now, uh, the section of chapter 5 that we're focusing on today is a moment of confrontation for Jesus. Um, the leaders, uh, the, the Pharisees, are very upset with him because they'd heard word of him performing miracles. And uh, to kind of compound that, that whole situation, make it worse, uh, Jesus performed one specific miracle the healing of the lame man on the day of the Sabbath. Uh, when Jesus healed that man, he told him to pick up his sleeping mat and walk. Yes. And by telling him to do that on that particular day, Jesus essentially told the man to work. And that was breaking the laws of the Sabbath. So the leaders were furious, and they wanted him brought to justice. Now, this picture of, of what happened as the Jewish leaders uh, confronted Jesus about his crimes, um, like, Jewish courts were very, of the time, were very different compared to what we have now. So I'm going to kind of give it more of a modern context. Okay. The healing of the lame man and Jesus telling him to pick up his sleeping mat and walk is the crime. The leaders, now acting as a court of law, working to bring justice. Jesus is the plaintiff, going through prosecution, answering for the charges being placed on him. During initial proceedings, Jesus drops a bombshell on the court that he is the son of God. At this point, the stakes of the trial are raised and Jesus is now facing death. This section of chapter five is the testimony portion of that trial. Now, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's read this section here. If I were to testify, and this is Jesus speaking, by the way. If I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid. But someone else also testifying about me, and someone else is also testifying about me, and I assure you that everything he says about me is true. In fact... You sent investigators to listen to John the Baptist, and his testimony about me was true. Of course, I have no need for human witnesses, but I say these things so that you might be saved. John was like a burning and shining lamp, and you were excited for a while about his message, but I have a greater witness than John, my teachings and my miracles. The Father gave me these works to accomplish, and they prove that he sent me. And the Father who sent me 
has testified about me himself. You have never heard his voice or seen him face to face, and you do not have his message in your hearts, because you do not believe me, the one he sent to you. You search the scriptures because you think that they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me and receive this life. Your approval means nothing to me, because I know you don't have God's love within you. For I have come to you in my Father's name, and you have rejected me. Yet, if others come to you in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe, for you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. Yet, it isn't I who will accuse you before the Father. Moses will accuse you. Yes, Moses in whom you put your hopes. If you, really believed, if you really believed Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote about me. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe what I say? Now, um, really, uh, what Jesus is saying in this verse uh, to, to the to the Pharisees is, what more do you want from me? And um, just let's break into this a bit and let's kind of become the observers here. Now in the first verse, when Jesus uh, is talking about testifying on his own behalf, um, he is directly stating an ancient Greek principle of justice. The, uh, in that that principle of justice is that the law will not recognize a person's testimony of their own actions as evidence on its own. It needs to be backed up by at least two to three witnesses. This law is reiterated several times throughout the Bible. In Deuteronomy, 2 Corinthians, Matthew, 1 Timothy, and several other places. Jesus goes on to say that someone else is testifying about me, and I assure you everything he is saying is true. And um, before, he, before he gets into that, he takes a quick moment to tell the Pharisees, I am not saying this to you, or I am saying this to you so you might be saved. Jesus is taking a moment to show compassion and demonstrating his unending love to the Pharisees. He's demonstrating the love of God to people that don't believe him, to people that are against him. And that's because Jesus sees a need in the Pharisees, and that need is salvation. And whenever there is a need to be met, faith can be born. Jesus recognizes this, and he's just taking an opportunity to, to let them know these things really quick. Then afterwards, he delivers a scathing rebuke. Um, kind of like uh, James Cooper talked about a few weeks ago, Jesus is a table flipper. Uh, and Jesus is about to verbally flip some tables on these Pharisees. 
He first points to the writings of John, and Jesus refers to John as a burning and shining lamp. This image is important because a lamp cannot shine without first being lit. Jesus knows that his persecutors won't listen to John the Baptist, and Jesus is not admitting John the Baptist's writings as testimony in this trial. Jesus is paying tribute to John the Baptist while simultaneously just rubbing his writings in the faces of the Pharisees. And he's, what he's essentially saying is, you guys loved what he had to say until he said something you didn't want to hear. And by the way, we're all that way. And uh, in this, Jesus is kind of talking to us as well. But ultimately, Jesus is pointing to the fact that something kindled a flame in John's heart when he bore witness to Jesus. Jesus is revealing God as his character witness. God was the one who lit John's lamp. The point Jesus makes to the Pharisees is that he does not need their approval because he is working on God's will. That's all the approval that he requires. In verse 44, he points out the reason behind their lack of faith. They're so involved in worldly things that they are blind to God's will. Their concerns lie in things like recognition, their social standing, their image, their belongings and clothes, things like that. And once again, Jesus is kind of talking to us there as well. Just hitting us with uh, some of that sneaky condemnation, you know. The Pharisees care so much about what, how other people perceive them that they don't have room to consider what God thinks of them. They act differently when human eyes are watching. They love the lifestyle that, religious, that religion affords them, but they don't love God. In classic table-flipping fashion, Jesus has just prosecuted his prosecutors at his own trial. Jesus then snuffs out any opportunity of them appealing these charges by pointing to the teachings of Moses. He tells them that even they ignore the words of their ultimate defender, who bore witness to Jesus, and this is telling him that their disbelief isn't unintended ignorance, but it's very much intentional. Once again, kind of, kind of speaking to us there. So, um, kind of some takeaways from, uh, from this, this section of the chapter is um, that uh, the blessings in your life are a testimony 
uh, to the love that God holds for you and to his power. Ultimately, without God, we have nothing. And uh, as, as humans, we tend to search for tangible things. We, we want evidence. So, just to kind of um, talk about those tangible things, to talk about that evidence that we have, um, we're going to kind of do something here. And uh, so, um, if you're watching on the live stream, I have, my, I have my phone down here, so you can take part in this as well. Um, I'm going to point to whoever puts their hands up, and we are going to just name some of the blessings that we have in our everyday life right now. Dang, that was quick. You were so much faster than the other service. This is like hard to get people to raise their hands. And um, if you are in a correctional facility watching this later on in the week, shout them out to each other. Um, But when I point to you, I just need you to shout it out so everybody in the room can hear, okay? So let's go. You had your hand up immediately, so I'm going to pick you. <laughs> Waking up in the morning. Sonia? New jobs. Recovery. Freedom. That's a big one. Your kids. What else do we have? Everyday blessings. My fiance. Your fiance. Fellowship. Fellowship. The sun. the sun. Oh, it's such a beautiful day. Friends. Friends. Peace. Peace. Family. Community. Community. That is a big one around here. What was that? Serenity. Everything. Every, oh, come on. <laughs> Self love. Courage. Courage. Coffee. <laughs> Health. Acceptance. Acceptance. Confidence. That's awesome. Those are all fantastic. A savior. Yeah, um, let's see what else we have here. Let's see, animals, grandchildren, faith, a supportive work environment, (laughs) the church live stream. Mental health stability. That's a good one. I think stability in general is a good one. Now, um, those are all all fantastic. Now, if we don't look around and we don't think about it, it's difficult to, it's difficult to name the blessings that we have in our life. But if we remain vigilant of it, then we are completely aware of how God is working in our lives every day.
We're going to move on to the second one here. And that's that a godly witness points people to the word. In this chapter, Jesus won his freedom at his trial by doing what any witness to God's almighty power would do. He pointed to the Pharisee, he pointed the Pharisees to the word. He pointed the Pharisees to God. Now, kind of speaking on kind of a like a personal standpoint here, and I know that people here are gonna this is gonna resound with some people. But uh, when we get some Jesus in us, when we, uh, when we get some recovery under our belts, when our lamp is lit, we start to want to help others. Once that lamp is lit, we want our light to shine. We want to sh- share what, ex- what we have experienced with other people that are struggling. And more often than not, than not that, uh, that leads to a lot of frustration, especially when we see that other people aren't being lit up the way we were. And in those times, we tend to forget that we were once in the same boat as those people. We get frustrated because we, as witnesses, cannot point them directly to the solution. But the one thing that you can do is you point them to the word. Let them find God and they will find the solution. Because God will light that flame. Now just as he did for us, and don't put yourself in the position of trying to light another person's flame. Don't play God in other people's lives. Don't try to take the part of God in someone else's journey because you will never add up. Now, um, if you're here and you feel like you're missing that flame, You can ask God to ignite that flame in Jesus' name at any time. It can be today, it can be tomorrow, it can be a year from now. It doesn't matter when, but you have the ability to do that whenever you are ready. Now, the fourth one here. God's perception of you is the only one that matters. Now, this one, this one gets complicated because we live in a society where the importance of self-image is drilled into us. Many of us tend to tell ourselves negative things, like we aren't good-looking enough, we aren't smart enough, we aren't strong enough, that we need to lose weight, or we need to present ourselves in a certain way in order to be accepted. And... All of these things, we start to like obsess over them. We obsess over these things. And all the while, God is obsessing over us just as we are. Now, those things that I listed are factors in our everyday lives that we have to wrestle with. 
But we have to remember that God's image of us trumps anyone else's, including our own. And I can tell you with absolute certainty that God loves you, he cares about you, just as you are. If we solely focus on what other people think about us, we take attention away from God. Now, um, I'm going to break down the concept of, of witnesses a little bit here and uh, kind of bring some perspective to that. Um, I want you to ask yourselves, what do your witnesses have to say about you? <laughs> now, I, I think in, in present tense, I'm, I'm doing well. I'd like to think that anyway. I hold a good standing in the community. I have more friends than I could even try to count. I like to believe that I'm approachable and that people feel comfortable and safe when I'm around. And I know that I am doing my absolute best to be a good person, to make the next right decision. I'm working a 12-step program, and I am living every day as an amends for my past. In present tense, I am very confident that witnesses could be called to testify on my behalf in any given situation. But what about the witnesses of our pasts? Yeah, some eyes got real big there. The temperature of the room just changed a little bit. Um, now, that, that feeling that some of you just had right there, that feeling was conviction. And it happens. But um, I'm not going to let you leave with that feeling today, all right? I just, I bring that up because I want you to think about some things. Now, I, I know personally for me that there are people out there who would tell you to stay far, far away from me. They've seen me at my absolute worst. In the depths of my addiction, they'd speak of my, mature, uh, my immaturity and of my destructive tendencies towards myself and towards other people. They'd tell you that I'm a thief. And honestly, many of them would tell you that I was a good person who was misguided and troubled. But there are <laughs> quite a few people out there that would have nothing good to say about me. But here I am now, in front of you guys. What God can do in our lives 
is amazing. Because of what God's blessings and because of what God's blessings and grace have done in my life, I can stand before you and testify. And many of you that I've gotten to know along the way can act as witnesses to that change. Now, at the beginning of our talk, I brought up some of the more like chaotic, common themes that we see here at Lighthouse. And right now, I'm describing another common theme. And that is the change that God brings to desperate people. Help others. When you share it, your when you share your story at your 12-step groups or whatever recovery meetings you may go to, when you're sharing your experience, experience, strength, and hope, you are sharing a testimony. And if you're doing it how most of the programs tell you to, you're giving that glory to God, a higher power of your understanding. Now, um, those, a lot of those people from my past that I described earlier, they don't know me anymore. Honestly, most of them never really did. But now, I am a very different person from who I was before. They don't know that because they weren't witnesses to the change that God made in my life. Maybe someday they'll come around, but that's not up to me. We can't change our past actions, our transgressions, our crimes. We can't take back things that we've said to people but we're in full control of our current and our future witnesses. Our testimonies are dependent on our, their testimony, sorry, are dependent on our actions and words today. Now, um, Dale, Dale really often talks about this, this line. I think I'm getting the, the hand thing right. Is that right? <laughs> no, Dale, Dale often talks about this line that we're walking on. And our future is back here. Or, sorry, our past is back here. I'm working on it, you guys. <laughs> our past is back here on this line. Here's where we are now. And here is our future. We can't change what has been done back here. There are witnesses to what has been done back here. Their minds aren't always going to change. But it's a possibility. And that change is dependent on what we're doing here and here.
Now, living by the word, living by God's grace, living in a way that you love others as Jesus would. That is a way, as we progress, that is the best way to change some opinions back here because we can't change the actions. We can form the opinions going this way and change some of them back here. It's one of the only things that we can change about the past. We can't change what they've witnessed. And we can't change the past in general. And that's honestly a good thing because our pasts are the most important part of our testimonies. The progression that we've made from there to right here is the most powerful part of our testimony. Now, um, I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to invite the band up, and while they are getting situated, I'm going um, to read from uh, Hebrews chapter 12. This is kind of talking about witnesses, the things that I just talked about up here. God's discipline proves his love. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion, who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in a place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. Thank you, you guys. And...